hello and welcome. My name is Kayla Marie Coates. Are we on the air? We're on the air. Again? Again. It seems like it's only been a month. I know. I've really <laughs> dropped the ball. Okay, I shouldn't say I've dropped the ball. I've just been freaking busy. I went out of town for work and, and just the whole shebang. So, been working, but we're back. We're back at it. Who are you? Uh, I'm your grandfather. Uh, also known and, as? And, and uh, well, I want to say this first. Okay. Okay. I know you, the real you. <laughs> so you don't have to say frickin' just because you're here with me. Okay. It's okay. Okay, so I can say fucking. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> gotcha, okay. gotcha. I'm Ron Ledesma. I'm your grandfather. <laughs> I've been around for quite a few years, and you've been around for some of those. It's just, you know, ever so slightly, yeah. maybe a little past 22 ish. Yeah. Skip your oh, where's my mic? I've always, right always had the mic on the wrong <laughs> side, and then everyone says, well, your voice fades in and out. Like it's in, it's out. Yeah, your uh, oxygen thing is also touching your mic a little bit. Is it? Yeah, let's adjust to up here. All there right. you go. Can you so hear me? So much better. See? Yeah, we also today have a wonderful person behind the camera. Hey, I mean, you can't actually show your face, but that's Julian. Julian's behind the camera today, hey, helping Julian. us with audio and technical issues in case we have any, which we normally do. So he's here. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, if we have issues, we don't know about them until after we're done. <laughs> yeah, and then this we way, check the camera. Say, ah. This way we have somebody monitoring today. Anywho, now, AKA, you are uh, Captain Ron. <laughs> okay, thank you. I have I have my own private pirate ship. Mm. It's not a yacht. And uh, the government's not trying to seize it. Well, uh, I stay in international waters where I'm safe. I like that. Yeah. I like it. I yeah. Take notes, everyone. If yeah. you want to be a pirate, he's the best go-to for answers yeah. Yeah. and advice. Yes. And all things captain-y things yeah. and music. And welcome and aboard the pirate ship Piñata. Anyway, thank you for tuning in to According to Captain Ron's Record. Um, this is the unedited, unfiltered, real and pure advice and take and all the things from Captain Ron Ledesma, aka my grandfather. So today I asked Captain Ron to pick out a record, a record, record, whatever, um, that reminded him of love. So. Yes. <laughs> For those of you who aren't watching the video aspect of this and are just listening in it's on the tear. audio, there are tears falling. Flowing. From, uh, flowing. Uh, drowning <clears throat> into, oh, I'm getting a signal from my technical like, person. Up like a little, I can't tell, I might, we might be able to hear the oxygen going through. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, oh, let me tell everybody. I'll turn it off in a second. No, uh, by fine. the way, for you viewers, this, this tube right here is supplying me with uh, supplemental mm -hmm. oxygen mm -hmm. since I have a, a lung disease, which, of course, is terminal because I only get terminal stuff. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and I'm at the point now where I need oxygen on a pretty regular basis in order to keep from, uh, I don't know, passing out? Yeah. I haven't passed out yet, so I'm just exaggerating because this is, absolutely, this is video. Yeah. You know, this is showbiz, right? So I have to exaggerate. Sure. But yeah. yeah, that's what this is. I could turn this off because it's called an incremental uh, uh, oxygen machine where it only lets out a little burst instead of constant flow. So when I breathe in, you can hear the mechanism going tick, tick, as it, shoveling oxygen to me. So I'm gonna turn it off. And if I need it, I'll turn it back on. But this way you won't hear the little 
noise that you were hearing. Yes, but if you do hear that, that is, you know, what's yeah. going on, and it will at some point have to happen throughout um, our entire episode. So now you yeah. know, um, because that is part of why I started this podcast, because he was diagnosed with this terminal illness, and I wanted to, one, spend more time with him, two, learn more about my family, my heritage, my culture, Three, get, you know, real life stories of she my has, grandfather. She has no culture. She's too young to have culture. She well, just, that's why I'm asking I have the you culture. and learning. I have the culture and I'm trying to share it with her. Precisely. Thank you for your lovely flowery words, grandfather. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and I wanted to get to know you more as a person. And part of what I wanted to focus on today and why I asked you to um, pick out a record about love is because I want to talk about your love life and, <gasps> and your your experiences, your marriages. Yes, plural. Is nudity um, off the table? I'm sorry? Is nudity off the table? Oh, it's not off the table. I mean, it's not going to happen on air. My God, oh, that's you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said lust life. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, so, lovely, lovely. anywho, let's get into the record that you chose. I, I chose, I mean, when you said that to me, I immediately thought back to my early 20s. I was about 20, mm. late 60s, early 70s. And the song I remember liking so much because it was about a love and love of a person was Elton John. This is the album it came from. It's called uh, Your Song mm. by Elton John. I love that song. And so, for instance, some of the lyrics. If I was a sculptor, but then again, no, or a man who makes potions in a traveling show, I notice not much, but it's the best that I can do. My gift is my song, and this one's for you. So that always reminds me of uh, the kind of musical love that I have for people. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the emotions that I felt as a young person, I felt through music because I'm an introvert. You wouldn't mm. know it because of all this craziness, but I am an introvert. Again, his persona that yeah. he likes to put yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> over the years, I don't know, it must, have been, it must have been about 40 when I started thinking in terms of having personas because as I got up in the commercial world or the business world, I had to speak in front of people, I had to lead meetings, uh, I had to write speeches, I had to do a lot of things that required being in front of people, which scared the hell out of me. Because, mm. you know, I was just young and uh, didn't know anything till I was about 30, knew very little. Mm. Uh, and then when I had to start getting in front of people and teaching and uh, explaining things, uh, I had to develop a persona. And over the years, whenever I want to get out of my introvert, uh, and get into my extrovert, I try to adopt one of my personas that, that is comfortable talking, telling lies, swapping tales. You know, <laughs> the fish was this big. Hyperbolism, hyperbole, hyperbole, yeah. Yeah, 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 we'll go with that. All of that you know, stuff. All of the good stuff. So uh, <laughs> I had to develop a persona because I just couldn't do it otherwise. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just freeze up. So here I am, and uh, this is my Captain Ron persona right now, <laughs> I believe, because Captain Ron runs a pirate ship, got a big crew, he's of got a lot, of, a lot of people working for him, mm -hmm. and is uh, dealing out music like crazy because, you know, if you want to find new tunes, you got to go, you got to search for the treasure, and you got to capture the treasure, bring it back, and then, you know, give it out to your friends, right? Yeah, you got to share it. Yeah, share, share your the wealth. Sure, sure, because I got too much wealth. Of course. Yeah, so I'm a wealthy person uh, in that way. <laughs> and so I shared Midnight Radio, my radio station, and my piñata pirate ship are my vehicles. Mm. Yeah, so we talked about that in earlier 
We uh, did. Programs. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that, I think, yeah. in like the first uh, episode a little yeah. bit. So since we have talked about that, let's move on more to your love life. Dun, dun, love dun. Life. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, you, so you said this reminded you of your early My 20s. My earliest did? love life. My earliest yeah, love life that. was the first time I kissed a girl. What was that? It was when I was about in the eighth grade, I think. Ooh. I remember kissing a girl in the eighth grade. Mm. And, uh, Do you remember her name? Yeah, Juanita. Juanita. Juanita Ooh. was her name. And she didn't go to the same school I went to. <gasps> so I just met her at the movie theater. Ooh, you sly dog. Uh, yes. <laughs> I met her at the movie theater, and we kind of had some fun together, you know, first in kiss and all. eighth grade. Yeah. Wow, you, you must have been a ballsy eighth grader. No, Not a lot of eighth no, graders was, can say that. I was still an introvert, but Juanita wasn't. <laughs> ah, so, there you go. okay, I see you made there's, the first move. Yeah, there's a truth in there somewhere. <laughs> anyway, so I guess my love life started at about then. Uh, mm. And I don't know if that was a love life. That was more like a... a Infatuation. Yeah. Yeah. Infatuation. Yeah, and then uh, I really, the first time I thought I fell in love and was totally infatuated, but never even kissed the girl, was in the sixth grade. Oh. That, that was my total puppy love experience, where I would follow her anywhere and be at her side, just <laughs> with this wistful look on my face, always wanting to be close to her because she was so wonderful. Mm. Anywhere. So that was my early love life. It really didn't amount to much. I didn't even get a kiss till eighth grade. So. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, then flash forward past eighth grade. High school. Dare. Okay. High okay. school. High school. Uh, in high school, that's when I met your grandmother. <gasps> what? Yes. Wait, which one? Uh, Margaret. <laughs> yes. Good God. Good God. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm being real. Your grandmother, Margaret, the hey. one I was married to. Okay, but you're married to the current grandmother who I well, identify most with my grandmother because she's the one who's been with me most of my that's, life. That's going to come later. Exactly. Let's okay, see. so I, Margaret. See, I married Margaret in about 1964. Mm. 63. Your mother was born in 64. Okay. So I can count back. <laughs> Got it. At, uh, and uh, we got married in 63. So What uh, month of 63? Uh, June, June 29th. So let me backtrack here. So mom was born in March of 64. So March, February, January, December, <laughs> November, October. Wait, did I? September, August, July. And when did you say? June 29th. Right on time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cutting it close there, grandfather. I, I would say so, yeah. I think your mother was born nine months after we were married. Almost to the day. Yeah, wow. Almost to the so, day. So the ultimate question, did you know when you proposed that she was pregnant? No, I couldn't have known. She couldn't have known. Back then, <laughs> they didn't have a, a Test quick test for pregnancy yeah. or any of that. And uh, even so, even if she was, it would only been a couple of days. So then you know, that means that maybe she was concepted, not concepted, what's the word? Honeymoon. Conceived. Conceived. Thank you. That I thought think crossed my mind, yeah. yes. Aw, that's kind of sweet. On the honeymoon. I would say that would be the most likely. Yes. Aww. Yes. That it, yeah, because I'm going to, because I wanted to say when I counted back, July was the ninth month and mom was born 
like the latter half March, of March, March, 24th. March 24th. Yeah. Almost so, open. yeah, that, that seems about right. About seems right. about accurate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We are slow. Uh, hey, what's no it family Sailing? dirt there. No <laughs> family dirt there. Thus far. No family dirt there. It's all legal. <laughs> I was hoping I could legal. drag some dirt out of you. It's okay. I'll come no. later in this episode. No. Um, so, okay. So, you met Margie. And what, what was the progression of that? Uh, I you started, met her in high school. I worked all through high school. Okay. And the place, one of the places I worked was the uh, community hospital in East Los Angeles okay. on Olympic Boulevard. And that's where I met Margie. She worked there too. She worked in the kitchen helping with the cooks and I worked washing dishes. And I often tell people, I am a professional dishwasher. <laughs> so when you see me in the kitchen washing a dish, you know damn well I know what I'm doing. Oh yeah. yeah cause it's got to come out clean. I was Sparkling. a professional dish. And that's where I met uh, your grandmother. Uh, at the community hospital, we worked together, and that's where I met your mom's or grandmother's family too, because her aunt worked there, her uh, uh, cousin worked there, and it was like a lot of her family, extended family members, worked at the same place. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, as you find out in life, uh, networking is important, mm -hmm. and it's uh, many times who you know when you're looking for a job, you go to where you know people who have those jobs, mm -hmm. and they help you to get started. Yeah. So. Uh, I started out at the bottom washing dishes because that is the bottom. <laughs> it and, is. And uh, that's where I it met your mom. Be, yeah. And we started dating through mm -hmm. high school. And uh, we got married after uh, I went into the Air Force. Mm. And then I uh, came back after my first year in the Air Force, we got married. And um, then she moved with me when I got assigned to Great Falls, Montana to start working on Minuteman missiles. And I think I talked to you a little bit the last time about yeah, all of the missiles of last time, and yeah. what a great fortunate thing it was for me to be able to fall into that. Yeah. Uh, working on Minuteman missiles was state of the art at the time. Mm -hmm. So I cut my teeth on the Minuteman missile and that really helped me uh, in my thinking of being a real uh, technician mm -hmm. and an engineer. Uh, so that pushed me on in my career. But your mother was with me in Montana, or your, your, well, she was too, but your grandmother <laughs> was with me in Montana. That's where your mother was born. Okay, in yeah, Great that's right. And then that's the next great love of my life was your mother. Mm. She was such a sweet little thing. She used to sleep on my chest, you know, this bit. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was wonderful. And uh, she was born, uh, uh, let's see, well, not when she was born. When, when uh, Margie started having contractions, it was like three or four in the morning. And the heavy snowfall, snowfall in March in Great Falls, Montana, and I had to go out and shovel the walkway to get to the car. That was the night your mother was born. Well, actually, oh, she wasn't born no. that night. She wasn't born until the next night, and, oh, and, and Margie had to have a cesarean because she was having trouble giving birth. C-section? Yes. Yeah. It's called a cesarean, yes. Ah, yes, C-section. And that, that was kind of scary. Um, and so we went through that, and uh, that uh, was when your mom was born on March 24th. What was the, the thing that, like what were the things that, that went through your mind when all of that was happening? Uh, clear out the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about, you said it was the scariest, one of the scariest moments of your, of your uh, life. Well, because uh, so. I was only, what, oh, 19? years old wow. and uh, she was going in to get surgery uh, and as far as I knew they were going to cut her open and pull the baby out. That's scary for someone who's yeah. 19 years old to have 
that and worry about her and worry about the baby. Yeah. And I was I was just so young and uh, bearing that much responsibility and worrying about it. That was tough. Mm -hmm. uh, being concerned about what the outcome would be, uh, how it was going to work out, uh, how Margie was going to be taken care of. So it all worked out in the end, you know. But uh, you have to go through those kinds of things to learn that life is uh, is unexpected. Mm -hmm. It just happens. And uh, so that's what happened to us back then. And uh, it was all worth it. I, I don't remember that looking back at it as being a bad experience. I look back at it and can laugh and enjoy that, yeah, it was a snowy night and all this was going on. It just adds to the, uh, to the, to the, to the story, yeah. you know, the whole thing. And you're so, such a great storyteller, too. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I didn't lie about the snow. <laughs> I didn't lie about the snow. Only, only slight embellishment. No. There, wasn't, there wasn't 12 inches of snow. There the, was only 11 and a half. Well, I had, no, I, had, I had to shovel it. I know. And then, not only do you have to shovel snow, but you got to clean the snow off your car. Yeah. Uh, and you know, because it's, it's sitting it? on your windshield like this thick, and you got to brush it and clean it. You can't yeah. go any place until after you do that. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know. kind of have to wait for it to like defog and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and I can't. I couldn't make Margie walk through a snowdrift to oh, get God, to. No. That wasn't right. Uh -uh. When she's in labor, literally. <laughs> well, you know, like, you know, you don't know. Oh, I'm thinking either the baby's going to come right on the sidewalk, <laughs> or we're going to make it. Or you don't know. You know, it's like an ex all the stories you see on TV about expectant fathers. I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -mm. You know, so. Yeah. That was before Lamaze. Uh, it was before a lot of the modern stuff. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, we barely had seatbelts in our cars at that time. Oh, but, yeah, huh? Yeah. Did you even have seatbelts? Yes. Okay. Uh, I was one of the first people to have seatbelts. Well, we really? were. Really? Because we're in the military. You're, military. You're, uh, military. You couldn't get on base, you know, and they, you'd go up to the base and they, they wave you through, you know, the mm -hmm. soldiers. And you couldn't get on the base unless you had a seatbelt. They check you. Uh, so that was for safety. Before there was a government law saying you have to have seatbelts, uh -huh. there was the military saying if you want to come on this base, you better have a seatbelt. So I had to install seatbelts in the car because cars at that time didn't come with seatbelts. Right. You had to add them yourself. How was the installation process on that? Uh, you had to drill holes through the through the uh, pan the on the bottom and of the. Stuff, yeah. Yeah, and then you had to put bolts in. Uh, to mount the seatbelts. How long did and, that take? Uh, oh, a couple of hours. Oh, okay. A couple of hours. Oh, but, that's crazy. But when, you, when you're only when you're only 19, 20 years old, uh, you know, if you have to get under a car, do a brake job, or just you learn on the job, and you sure. do it, and you yeah. think you think, well, everybody else does it too. No, only <laughs> idiots that are 19 years old, you know, drag themselves under yeah. a car, put seatbelts on, and stuff. Because now I look at that and I say, I wouldn't do that now. I'd pay somebody to do it. I'm of course. Not, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, so back then you had to do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure it's probably the same now with you, as young as you are, that if you want something done, you just have to learn to do it and do it. Oh, 120 million percent. It's, has, <laughs> that hasn't changed? No, not really. Uh, I mean, okay. at least I'm very much the type of person who learns by doing, and I it, it's so hard for me to ask for help, and so I very much try to figure uh, shit out on my own. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I wonder where I get it from. Anybody, anybody know? <laughs> shit. I think there's a... I think I hear uh, something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you young people, you can't take direction either. That's not true. Uh, I am an actor. Are you kidding me? No. That is what I'm supposed to do in my job line. Job line? Take direction? Yeah. Well, that's different. Uh, 
taking direction from a family member or, or a parent no, is, is a hell of a lot different, different than getting a job and your boss telling you to do something and you say, yes, sir. Yeah. And you do it because you get paid. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm also stubborn as hell. And I know I get that from you. I wasn't going to say that. Mm. Well, actually, I was. Yeah. But since you said it, uh -huh. she's yeah. stubborn. I can be very stubborn. Very. Oh, Julian is giving the worst face uh, behind the camera right now. Hey, by the way, if, uh, we're recording, right? <laughs> okay. I just always have these little fears. I'm like, shit, did I actually well, press record? Next time, Julian's going to be here. Next time I'm going to bring a, a mirror so I can flash it up so you can see Julian. Yeah? Am I right? Hey, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Next time. We'll see, we'll see. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time we're going to have Grandma on, on the podcast. Oh, uh, Lady Gale. That'll be Lady Gale. Well, yeah. First Lady of the Pirate Ship. Uh, yes. Uh, there's Captain Ron and then his mistress, Lady Gale. She's not my wife in, in, on the pirate ship pinata. She's my mistress. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get to Lady Gale um, Next time. soon. Oh, no, no, no. Next it, episode. It, we'll, we'll talk about Lady Gale oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in this episode. Because oh, we're well, talking about love, marriage, yes, family. Yes, I'm still on your grandmother. But we are still, yeah, the first Well, the reason I, yeah. said, I told you the year 1963 when your grandmother and I got together mm -hmm. was because I didn't get together with Gale until 1982. Figure out that 20 years later. Hmm. So what happened in that span of 20 years? Uh, so you, you went to the, into the Air Force, right? Oh, yeah, I talked about that before. Yeah. I was in the Air Force for four years. Uh, I served my last year in <laughs> Vietnam, came home, and then... Uh, what uh, happened? What happened? Uh, I went to work for IBM. Yeah. Itty Bitty Machinery Company. Or Is also, that known, what, also itty known bitty as machinery? IBM, Itty Bitty Machinery Company. Or, That's not the actual. Or, or I've been made. Or <laughs> one BM. When you work for IBM, you have all these little, uh, you know, pseudonyms for IBM. Yeah. It means international business machines. So to all of my ex IBM friends, I know what IBM stands for. <laughs> AKA <clears throat> Bitty Machinery. Okay, so or whatever. So uh, Margie and I uh, bought a house, uh, settled down, and I went to work for IBM and started living the regular, everyday business life. The nine to five. I had the nine to five, dress, suit and tie. Mm. It was funny because the first day I went to work for IBM, <clears throat> they took me aside. No, you can't dress this way. I said, well, what's wrong? I, you know, I'm all dressed up, right? I thought I was really dressed to the yeah. nice. I was wearing a sport coat, a sports jacket. Mm, no. Okay, what? you can't wear a sports jacket with IBM. You had to have a suit. Oh, and, and then back then the Beatles were popular, so everybody had long hair. No. What? When you worked for IBM, this you had to 60s. have your hair cut short. You had to have a suit and tie, white shirt, white shirt. Period. So, oh, so, sorry. so whenever you were at work, that sounds like awful. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, the customers liked it because they could look at you and say, "Oh, you're IBM," because. You looked the part. IBM had an image, and yeah. that was a part of the image. Was all of their uh, employees were taught to act professionally. But I hate that 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 like that is the culture of professional is short hair, you know, clean or either either full beard or completely clean shaven. You can't be like growing in well, the process of growing and like no tattoos, no piercings, nothing. It's like. That needs to change, and it is slowly changing. Yes but, and no. You go in for brain surgery, you don't want your doctor to have earrings, uh, denim clothes, a beard. 
Okay, but that doesn't... And, and smoking a cigarette. No! Well, okay, well, smoking a cigarette, that I can agree with. But, I mean, it doesn't mean that he can't smoke in his everyday life, but he just can't be smoking on the freaking table on the oh. job like that. But that what somebody, you know, dresses as, how they um, come across, what their aesthetic is, has no relation to their ability to do a job. That's true. So why does it correlate so much into being professional and people okay. who are just listening? I'm putting air quotes around that, if you can tell. No. Um, <clears throat> well, there's a simple answer that any marketing person can tell you. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes the quality of your product isn't obvious. Okay. So it's okay. You, have, you have a quality product, but it's not obvious. So what you do is everything, the box you put it in, quality. The artwork on it, quality. Everything associated with it, the people that work on it, are giving the impression of quality. We care enough to look professional, do this in a certain way, so that you know you get a consistent product. And so it's a, it has to do with imaging and understanding that people perceive quality through what they see and hear and experience, regardless of the product. The product might be crap, but you put it in a golden box and people say, wow, that really must be great. Yeah. So, uh, so a good company always displays their quality in everything they do. Do you understand that? I do, and I guess okay. it, it does all come down to marketing, but I just think that the, the, the perception via society's eyes does need to change in that realm. You know, it just needs to be more diverse and not just the clean cut you know, uh, a made-up character of sorts. Well, uh, it, it's, uh, it's true, as I agreed with you, that you don't <laughs> have to have a suit on to do a good job. But if you're the one with the money and you're paying for a good job, Mm -hmm. You don't want a slob to walk in your house to work in your stuff. Okay, but there's a difference between like a slob and somebody who's just like more, just not not all business attire, you know, and not short hair and not you know like clean shaven and not no tattoos. There's there's a difference between somebody who is tatted, has a has a beard, but is very hygienic. You know, has long hair. Again, hygienic. They smell nice. They might not be in a suit. They're in a t-shirt. Whatever. Maybe it says. Maybe it says. You know, the Beatles on the t-shirt. Who knows? I, I, I can and hear. I can hear your lizard couple... brain talking loud and clear. Uh, I can course. hear the lizard brain in you. Uh, well, I tell you what. Ask any woman <laughs> who puts her makeup on, checks her clothing. Uh, why do that? Why not just wear whatever the hell you you feel like and you know just cruise out there and what the hell with what people well, think I can you're tell a good you. person anyway. Well, I can tell you an answer. I mean, I'm not necessarily that girl or that person no. who who does my makeup every day and puts on, you know, a nicer outfit and whatever. I've been to talk to you. <laughs> oh, oh, have you? I mean, obviously, look at me. I have hair and hair and shit like that. Like, I'm all natural. Um, but... I do know a lot of people who do like to do that because they like to feel very well, beautiful and they like to put on that aesthetic for themselves and they like to present themselves well, in that way and it makes them feel confident. I don't agree with you because, girl, you may be unconventional, but you do care about how you look and you have style. Mm, you, that's fair. you have your style, and before you walk out the door, when you look in the mirror, you say, am I myself or am I someone else? And you got your style going. So, mm -hmm. no, you, you show your care 
in a different way by sure. presenting yourself in how you feel. Yeah. And, 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 and you feel this way, but your clothes also tell the story mm -hmm. of who you are and how you feel. That's all it is. That's all it is. And the older you get, the more tolerant I think you are of people's need to portray how they feel. And it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. You you're see good. right through me you're, sometimes. You're you good. do, you do. But um, I think we are getting a little off topic. Let's yeah, go back love, to. Uh, I think I think you were trying to get us a little bit off topic. But no, no, you know, no. I want to talk about. Okay, the, okay, I okay. Talk okay. About so love. IBM, you know, you're working the nine to five. You're getting a little. Things are getting what mundane. Yeah, and and your grandmother Margaret was an accountant. <laughs> Uh, oh, I and, see where my mom got that from. <laughs> yeah, so she was working as a bookkeeper at the time uh, for uh, 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 a CPA firm in Pasadena, I believe. And uh, I was working for IBM, 9 to 5, doing my job every day and working in the business community. Mm. And so I got to know and feel free going into banks and brokerage houses and all of that kind of stuff in downtown L.A. So I worked in downtown L.A. I almost didn't go to work for IBM because uh, when I came out of the military after, after Vietnam, uh, I applied for like several jobs. Mm -hmm. One of them was the LAPD. Really? I was thinking I was going to be a policeman. And uh, it was like, uh, you know, you're growing up, you have heroes like firemen. And, and when I was a kid, policemen and firemen were really respected and it was an honorable profession. I thought about it and I had an appointment with the LAPD to go and interview. IBM was my morning appointment. They kept me all damn day. Seriously. They tested me. It was like going, it's like applying to go to college. It was, yeah, they were testing me. So uh, by the time I got through with IBM, uh, I, I missed my appointment with the LAPD. That was the end of that. And so I never did go to the LAPD, never did take their tests. Uh, but uh, instead, IBM offered me a job. And that's what started me on the engineering path uh, out of the military. And my military training helped to qualify me for that job with IBM. I don't regret that ever. That was a great opportunity for me. Uh, I talked to you a little bit about the other thing, the working for a company uh, working on core. I yeah. I told you about computer yeah, core. We actually did. strung wires through a little mm -hmm. uh, ferrite donut. And yeah. that was what a memory bit was, mm -hmm. a donut with wire so that you can flip it on and off. Yep. And yep. then read it, whether read the state. You could set the state and you could read the state. And uh, that was the digital uh, world of uh, computer memory. Mm. And it was um, uh, a job that I might have gotten, um, but they hadn't called me back yet. And I got an interview <laughs> with IBM the next day and I wound up working for IBM. So okay. then that happened and then what? Uh, well. You're living in the South Loop, Margie. And yeah, and well, then divorce came along. Oh. Uh, Margie and I were divorced in the late 60s, 68, I think 69. I think we were married for about eight years, mm -hmm. uh, or eight, six years, seven years. And uh, uh, we were best friends, but should not have been husband and wife. Mm. <laughs> and we were, we were friends until she died. And we were always friendly with each other. Uh, I spent time with her through the years, uh, working with her on different uh, projects. Um, uh, Margie was an accountant, and she trained Ronette, your mother, in accounting uh, when she was in high school. Ronette worked uh, doing bookkeeping with your mother, so she learned accounting from your mother. They needed computers. I was living in Northern California, 
and I would come down and install computer systems for them so they could have a network. It was like state of the art. Mm -hmm. I built a network for them so they could all work on the same clients in their yeah. office and all of their machines were tied together. And this was back in the, uh, see, what the hell was this? This was, must have been in the 70s, 80s, I guess. Yeah, the 80s, early, mid 80s, when networking uh, came about, I <clears throat> built them systems using IBM personal computers and networking and tied their systems together for them. And that really made their life easy uh, mm -hmm. as far as doing accounting. Sure. So I was their mm, technical consultant your, the, for your grandmother. So for years, I worked with her and, and run at your mother and uh, maintaining their computer systems, state of the art. So I always upgraded them, got in the latest and greatest stuff, built up their systems so they were always uh, working with the best. And this was after you got divorced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was in the 80s. I got divorced so, late, late 60s, early 70s. Let's it was about go, 10 years later. Let's go back to the divorce. How did that happen? Uh, I, I think I explained that. Uh, we were great friends, but we didn't gel as husband and wife. Right. There are a lot of things that husbands and wives have, have uh, their own idea of what marriage is about, and we just didn't, didn't match. I didn't say why, I said how. How? How did we get divorced? We went to court. <laughs> what do you mean how? Well, I, well did, was, it, was it civil? Was it, was it rough? Oh, no, no, it was, no, it was, it was always, did that's you? what I was explaining. Uh, we were always friends and friendly. There was no, uh, there was no, okay. uh, there was no contested uh, assets or anything. We didn't argue about anything as far as the divorce. Um, I made sure that whatever assets we had, actually we both agreed that the proceeds from our house, uh, Margie kept them and they were to help pay for Ronette's college. Mm. So uh, Ronette's uh, college uh, was partly paid for by the proceeds from the sale of our house. Mm. Yeah. So um, th that's, we were amicable, that's what, what I want yeah. to say. Uh, we never fought over over anything uh, as far as divorce. We just shouldn't have been together, so. Sure. Yeah, so we called it a day. Uh, <clears throat> when, um, so when you went to, when you were in the military, you were stationed outside of the family for what, four years? Uh, yeah, four years. Uh, was so a, you didn't I was a year in the South, so that's when I lived in the deep South where segregation was king. Oof. You know, and, and it was the blacks here, whites there, and never the twain shall meet. I think it was even against the law down there for a black and a white person to marry. That's how bad it was. So uh, my first year was down in the South, and then I spent uh, two years in uh, Montana, mm -hmm. and then a year in Vietnam. Were, so were, they were obviously with you in Montana. Were they with you in the South as well? Uh, no, we weren't married then. We didn't get. Oh, okay. Yeah, we weren't married then. Uh, <clears throat> so, we got married when I came back, um, and just before I was assigned to go to uh, uh, Montana. Other than and then when I got assigned to Montana, then I, I got a car we, and I came down and picked mm -hmm. up uh, uh, Margie, went moved to Montana with her, and then she had the baby in Montana. Hmm. And were you, so obviously you were there for obviously the birth and stuff. Um, other than the time that you weren't with them while you were in the military, was there ever like a large period of time where you weren't with them? Only the year that I wasn't, I was in Vietnam. Okay. Yeah, because everybody was apart. Yeah. Yeah. So when I came home, we, that's when we bought a home and settled down and, you know, started that life after the military. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so, well then, after the divorce, so <clears throat> then what came next? Uh, I married Linda. <laughs> I married Linda, and Linda, we were just talking about Linda earlier. We were uh, during dinner. Yeah, I married Linda, and Linda wasn't as, was never as friendly, we were never as friendly as Marge and I. We, I would say we were never really the best of friends. Uh, so over, over time, there was a lot of bitterness mm -hmm. in the marriage. How long were you married for? Uh, until, oh, what's 77? Seven, no, seven, no, eight, not, about 1980. I think we got divorced in 80. We married about 72. So about like eight-ish eight years. Eight years. <clears throat> How did you meet? Uh, how did I meet Linda? Linda, 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 work. Work. Ah. She, she worked at work one of the- Work again. She worked at one of the banks uh, <laughs> that I serviced. Uh, and so I knew her from, from work. I used to uh, uh, work part-time at different banks around LA for IBM. And I met uh, Linda. Uh, she worked for one of the banks. I think the Union Bank. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So then you divorced Linda. Was that you said there was? We had a son. We had two kids. Oh, with Linda, yeah. Linda and I had two children. The first uh, died after age of two. It was named oh, Dominic. That was yes. the son that I lost. You did mention and the second him. was Eric. He was he came a year after Dominic. And Eric is uh, still. Uh, alive, thank goodness, and he's got uh, he's two children, mm -hmm. uh, Noah and Lucy, my other two grandchildren yeah. from Linda. Love that. Yeah. Um, and then the divorce came. Whose idea was that, or was it more uh, mutual? <clears throat> uh, the divorce was her idea, hmm. and well, it was her idea. <laughs> I didn't have much choice about it, but at the time, I didn't really want to get a divorce, but then. Uh, you weren't fully opposed to it either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had mixed feelings about it. Sure. I didn't. I didn't want to get a divorce because of of the disruption involved with the family, um, mm -hmm. you know, with the kids, and just that part of it was just unseemly. You know, yeah. what do you do with your children? And it's, it's just a mess. And then Linda was not. Uh, uh, um, she wasn't going to go quietly into the night. <laughs> <laughs> so we argued a lot about uh, the. The conditions of our divorce, mm. who got what, and all that. It was, how long it was that, not very friendly. How long did that process uh, last for that divorce? Oh, God, divorce lasts a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, going through it, it's not just a piece of paper. You know, I got a piece of paper, it's over. No, 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 no. <laughs> it takes a couple of years, especially with someone who you're having Lots problems of with, especially with. <laughs> when there's visitation rights with the children. Oh, God, yeah. That is something you have to negotiate every two weeks, or, you know. so. It, it took a couple of years for it to phew, calm down, mm -hmm. calm down. So how often since <clears throat> when you did start seeing Linda, married her, and then had two kids in that marriage, how often did you see uh, my mom, Ronette? Uh, Ronette, I saw every few weeks, pretty much. I'd come and we'd spend time together. Uh, we would do things like go horseback riding and uh, I'd take her places to concert or whatever we did. It was it was a typical um, non-custodial parent relationship that I had with Ronette. <clears throat> she would come and spend a few weeks in the summer, and um, we did different kinds of things. When I lived in in uh, in uh, Silicon Valley, she came up and spent six months living with us and going to school there, Mountain View High. So um, I'm not gonna you know talk on your mom, but evidently uh, your mom at a period of time. Uh, had struggles with 
her mom, mm. and uh, so yeah, so she came up and stayed uh, with me for uh, uh, a semester at at uh, Mountain View High. Okay. So um, so we had that kind of a relationship. Uh, I would uh, travel down to L.A., come and visit, and then when I was in L.A., I'd take her out and we'd see each other. So I would come back. I'd drive back and forth between the Bay Area and Los Angeles uh, to visit and get to see Ronette. So that was our relationship along. And, and to my surprise, when she became a teenager and was able to drive, she would drive up to see me. Mm. I, I could never forget the first time she drove up. I was, uh, I was, as a father, I was really impressed and, and felt really emotional because she took the time to come up and see me. And she had to drive like five hours to do it. Yeah. But then she always came up, and that's just the way she was. Mm -hmm. And then she'd come up with her friend, Laura. Laura Coleman, her, yeah. her good lifelong friend, right? And they'd get in the car together, and they're two crazy girls when they get together. I think uh, it just took one of them to say, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do it. And the other one said, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So I think that they uh, had a lot of fun together because of that relationship that they had. And uh, they would drive up and uh, come and visit. Of course, they would take your mom, her mother's car, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, you know, they they take her mom's car. Typical. And, yeah, <laughs> and they take off and they come to San Francisco. And we go out up there. We go to the beach and mm -hmm. you know go uh, go to the tide pools or or go out to to eat at the top of the uh, hotel or you know whatever. We just do stuff around uh, the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And so she got to see the Bay Area. And whenever she got a new boyfriend, um, she'd bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> so and, how many of those did you meet? I'm not saying. That's for your mother to say. <laughs> uh, there was the big ragu. And <laughs> never mind. You don't want to know. She brought a few guys up, and uh, <clears throat> I think then uh, then she married Ken, Ken Milton, mm -hmm. uh, Justin's father. Yes. Yeah, Justin's father. Yes. Um, so I lived in the Bay Area, and Ronette would come up to visit. I'd drive down to uh, L.A., and this is uh, has something to do with music too. <clears throat> One thing I learned in life was that uh, planning and setting goals was important. Yeah, and, very. And uh, we would take trips from the Bay Area to Los Angeles and back in the car. Mm. I was always making music uh, mixes, mm -hmm. tapes. We talked about that earlier. Yes. And I would make the tapes. They were all 90 minutes long. And I would make tapes. And a lot of them were named after Interstate 5, I-680, all of the roads that we traveled on. I made mixtapes for those roads. So when we go down uh, I-5, you know, and uh, we'd be coming over the Cajon Pass, and it was like, uh, <laughs> we'd be listening to L.A. Woman, you know, oh, coming in L.A. <laughs> and so um, I, we listen to music. And, uh, and so it was always music as a backdrop for five hours while we travel from north to south and south to north. Hmm. So music was always there. But an interesting thing happened. Um, in that five hours, you had time to sit next to a person for five hours, you couldn't go anywhere, you know, <laughs> and talk. So what yeah. did you talk about? You talked about what's happened in the last several months, since the last time you went to LA, right? What you talked about then, what you decided you were gonna do, the plans you made, the goals, and then you'd, you'd do the same thing on the next trip, and you'd say, wow, how did we do? And then, wow, what are we gonna do next? And this the rest of the year, we need to get this done and that done, and so, it was a sort of a, an interlude in your life where you had to sit down with your partner for hours and just talk. Mm. I got a lot of value out of that, and it helped me to understand the value of talking about your future 
and setting short-term and long-term goals. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's very important. <clears throat> that's something that I focus on a lot, especially with um, just where I'm at in life mm -hmm. and especially with my career stuff and my entertainment industry stuff. I'm a bunch of, I'm a part of several different career advancement diversity initiatives and yeah. we're super big on setting goals for ourselves, both long-term and short-term and breaking those down into smaller steps to make them more mm -hmm. like easier to, to achieve. achievable. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Achievable. And yeah, so exactly. that's, I totally relate and empathize with what you're saying about all the yeah. goals. Those times that we spent on the road uh, benefited us greatly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, I can absolutely appreciate that. Yeah, it was fun. No, that's great. So that was, uh, that was Linda. Linda mm -hmm. and I traveled back and forth to LA a lot. And then <clears throat> life with Linda got to the point where uh, we no longer uh, cared properly for each other. Mm. Either of us. Yeah. I think we both were disillusioned and um, even though didn't really want, not that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with Linda by the time I was really feeling bad, but I didn't want to get divorced. I wanted to, I wanted to maintain a family. I was at an age where family meant a lot and I didn't want to break up the family. Uh, I was thinking of ways to work through it, mm -hmm. and, but it wasn't to be. And were you truly in love with her? Mm -hmm. At that time, no. I don't think so. I think I was more in love with the, the being... The idea uh, of family of, and everything? Yes, of, of being a father and having the, having, the, having the child to take care of and mm -hmm. you know, watching him grow up. It was fun. And, and so I didn't want to give that up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was hard enough with Ronette being a, a, a non-custodial parent. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, know. I can imagine. And back in those days, uh, back in the 60s, uh, it was pretty much standard. I mean, uh, uh, men didn't get custody of the children. Uh, it was almost always the wife, and it was almost for a foregone conclusion. You didn't, you know, I, I didn't see any grounds to argue over the way things were. Sure, yeah. I, I, I understand that. Yeah, Just there was no the winners times of that. what it was. There were no winners in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. so then after Linda? Then, uh, then, or then who? <clears throat> well, then I was working... Uh, at that time, I was working as a training manager for, for uh, uh, GE Calma. It was a, a computer-aided design company. And um, I was responsible for training the uh, engineers and the customers on the use of the equipment. And so I had a training center. Um, I uh, joined the American Society for Training and Development. It's a professional organization. You don't have to wear suit and tie and all that stuff. Oh, You're talking about, all uh, the great stuff. Okay. So it was a professional organization, <laughs> ASTD. American Society for Training and Development. They had a conference in Region 8, and it was in L.A. In fact, it was in Anaheim at Disneyland, mm. Magic Kingdom. Really? And that's where the magic happened. The that's where Earth. I met Gail. Uh, <laughs> I attended the conference, and I met Gail there, and she was from Tucson, Arizona, uh, Chapter 8, and she was part of the sponsors of the uh, regional meeting for the society, and it was at the uh, Anaheim Convention Center, Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And it was a night at Disneyland, and all that, you know how those things go. They're, they're uh, what do you call them? Boondoggles. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it was a Disneyland boondoggle, and in between we got to boondoggle. learn stuff. You know what a boondoggle is? No. <laughs> I just like that uh, word. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, that's, You're not going to explain it yeah, to that's, me? That's, that's, <laughs> where, that's where a bunch of corporate executives say, we need to get together and talk this out. I think this year we should do it in Hawaii, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get a meeting room in Hawaii. Let's go to Hawaii, and then we'll sit down. We'll work out this business plan. Blah blah. You go to Hawaii, and half the time you're out there on the beach. But 
It's called a boondoggle. Boondoggle. Yeah, boondoggle. Boondoggle. Uh, There's a purpose behind it, but then it turns out to be more fun and and running around than it does to actually work. And and when it gets to that point, you call it a boondoggle. So (laughs) by the mere fact that we spent uh, a night at Disneyland and had fun, and uh, that qualifies as a boondoggle, (laughs) because you didn't just go for the conference, you also went because you wanted to go to Disneyland. Yeah, I <laughs> so, love it. That's and guess great. who pays for it? Oh, the company. Oh, the company. 100%. That's why it's a boondoggle. Boondoggle. Yeah. Boondoggle. I am putting that in my word repertoire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look at it. Google it. Boondoggle. Google it. Boondoggle. <laughs> you know, and real fast, I do have to say, I, I as I was thinking about this, it's not that I dislike the idea of, of dressing professional, because it's that's not what I mean. I like I recently worked at South by Southwest and I took pride in how I dressed and I was dressing very professional and then I would go hang out with my team after we got off work and whatever and I would dress in my hippie clothes and they would be like oh my god Kayla this is how you dress I thought you were all professional <laughs> so I think it's fun to like show them you know the professional uh, side but then also show them like hey this is how I like to dress too okay so what you're learning is what I learned about wardrobe too see as a, yeah. I, we talked about a hat earlier before I came out here and I brought the hat <laughs> At at, uh, at uh, Julian's suggestion, I, I picked that hat because it seemed more appropriate for the shirt. But <laughs> I found out something about hats. Hmm. I found out when I bought my engineer's hat. When I was a little kid, you know, you'd be programming on TV and there was yeah. an engineer Bill or whatever his name was, I forget. Engin- uh, and he would, uh, you know, make you blow the whistle and do all that stuff. And tra- it was on TV, a little kid yeah. show. You know, I was only about eight years old, I guess. Anyway, uh, he had an engineer's hat. One day I bought an engineer's hat when I was grown. Mm-hmm. And I found out that if you wear an engineer's hat, people smile at you. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm dead serious. They say, "Oh, hi. Where's your train?" Mm-hmm. It was. It was. It started conversations. I wasn't even aware that people were aware of the hat, and people liked it mm-hmm. because it harkened back to a day when engineers wore those stripy little hats and all that. Yeah. And I liked the engineer hat. I liked the shape of it, the feel of it. And so for many years, I wore an engineer's hat. And Whenever I wanted to go someplace and have a more open persona, I'd wear my engineer's hat. Hmm. People would warm to you. So I, I figured think out you're onto something. I said, here. okay, so <laughs> dress has something to do with your behavior. <clears throat> In fact, when I went to Disneyland, I was doing a, and uh, met Gail, I was doing a, a, a slideshow, uh, and the theme was does. Uh, uh, Environment change behavior. That was the question I was trying to answer. Does environment change a person's behavior? Absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah, but I wanted to prove it. <laughs> so when I, I had a I had a photographer with me and I was recording people mm-hmm. and having pictures taken with them at Disneyland, and at the time I was wearing glasses with a big nose and a mustache, a Groucho Marx glasses, right? Yes. So I was interviewing everybody with Groucho Marx. So I was I was setting an environment. We were at Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom. I was wearing a, a, a phony face yep. and talking to people, and they would light up and laugh and joke and talk. And, and so, so I'd ask them the question, does environment change behavior? Well, of course, the answer was self-evident yeah. because everyone was behaving like kids, sure. right? Because yeah. where were we? Disneyland. Yeah. Okay, so it was a sort of a... Uh, a foregone conclusion that everyone say, well, yeah, you know, but that was the fun of it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I was just making fun of all of it. Anyway, that's what I was doing when I met Gail. And that's why I was in a good mood. She was in a good mood too. Mm. And I think I told you about the pinata. 
because our first date when we met each other at Disneyland and said, hey, you want to go out for some coffee? We went to a restaurant called the Pinata. Jolly Roger. Oh. It used to be in Anaheim. Yeah. It was a coffee shop called yeah. the Jolly Roger. That was our first date. So when you think about the Jolly Roger, you know, is the flag, the pirate flag is yeah. the Jolly Roger. That's part of the pinata and the pirate Light ship. Ta-da! <laughs> anyway, it all kind of ties together. And Lady Gale was, uh, I met her and we went out to the Jolly Roger. I love so, it. So yeah, and we talked for hours. And, and uh, so we got to know each other. Uh, and then, you know how it is when you first meet a person uh, that you care for? Uh, you want to know everything about them, mm -hmm. and everything they have to say is immensely interesting. Of course. Immensely interesting. It I, always it, is. To the minutest detail. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Oh, something new. Anyway, it was fun. It was glorious. And uh, I've, I was in love and all of that stuff. Was. Know. Aren't you still married to her? No, back then. <laughs> yes. In fact, the honeymoon lasted for 20 years. Aww. I know. Long That's time. That's great. It seemed like it just so quick. <laughs> and she'll tell you that the honeymoon ended when we got a restaurant and I was the boss. Uh, oh, I, would I can understand I know, her perspective. I, I, was, I was the cook, uh, the chief cook, and she was the waitress. <sighs> or I treated her like one. And that really ended the honeymoon. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That'll do it. <laughs> she'll tell you. Hey, how are we doing for uh, battery still going on that thing? <laughs> See, I think I sorted out which batteries are good and which batteries oh, are bad. Oh, that's good. Because so. we don't want to go through. Oh, that's oh, okay. totally fine. We got plenty of time because yeah. we're about at the last five, ten minutes yeah. of our show. So, um, okay. So you've been. I mean, we can talk also more about uh, Lady Gale in the next episode mm -hmm. when we have her on. Now we've been married since 1982, yeah. so it's but it's 40 years. Mm -hmm. So the most of of all of your lives, my yeah. grandchildren, I was married to Gail. This year is the is the fortieth anniversary. Mm -hmm. So that's what you guys got to uh, married on Christmas? No, uh, Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Because we decided yeah. that there's too much stress in uh, birthdays and Christmas and all that. So we decided oh, let's all have it in one. Yeah, because yeah. her birthday is also in December. Yeah, December sixteenth. So. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. That'll be fun. That'll be a big one this year. So we've been together for a long time, and the honeymoon just, it was 20 years. That's pretty good. That's pretty great. That's pretty good. Pretty, pretty groovy, yeah. if I might say so myself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And y'all are still super happy, though, even if it's good. not honeymoon. Well, we, we, we don't <laughs> let you see when we're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, y'all argue like an old married couple, but it's, <clears throat> oh, we do. it's oh, we entertaining. Do. <laughs> you you find through. happiness in every single thing that you do, though. Uh, yeah, we have a good time. I have a good time. I'll let <laughs> she her speak has for, a good time. I'm going to let her speak for herself. She may uh. not be so, you know, <laughs> so joyous about it. Um, but, yeah, we have a good time. I do. But um, would you say, actually, you know what? No, I will save that question for the next cliffhanger for the next episode, so you'll have to tune in because I've got a good question. <laughs> Um, okay, well then, in the last five minutes, let's talk about your health. Because it has been about, like, what, a month <clears throat> since uh, uh, we did our last episode? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I turned my oxygen off, uh, but more and more, uh, I'm needing oxygen. I've got wired oxygen to the kitchen because when I'm working around the kitchen, it usually takes me a uh, half hour to an hour of, of prep, cutting vegetables, and because uh, I cook. Cooking yeah. is one of my yeah. loves, uh, so I cook a lot. And uh, so prep time usually takes me uh, half an hour to an hour, 
and uh, sometimes I'll split it up in the day to do things early in the day that I so I don't have to wait until last minute and do everything because I get too tired out. Right. So um, now if I uh, do any kind of work without oxygen, uh, my oxygen level is dropping not to the 80s, but it goes down into the 70s now. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I'm going down into the 70s. Then I got to sit down and get my oxygen back up to the 90s. Uh, the normal range, is, I believe, is between 89 and 100. So when you're below 89, that's not good. You get into the 70s, that's not good. When you get into the 60s, you need to worry. Uh, I've only hit 60s once in the last month, uh, but it's a sign that you need to stop what you're doing and get oxygen. What were you doing? Uh... Nothing much, just working in the kitchen or working around the house. Mm. I can I I don't go out very much anymore. Yeah, uh, I'm mostly just puttering around the house, and uh, I have a regular flowing oxygen downstairs that I keep on. Uh, I can put it on any time, rather than the bottle, which is portable. Right. I just turned it off because of the little noise it makes. Uh, since I'm sitting and I'm immobile, uh, I'm uh, at rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I can usually keep my oxygen level up still, um, but I can tell you what it is right yeah, now. It might be in the 80s, and if I'm in bad luck, it'll be in the 70s. And my heartbeat, my heartbeat, usually when I talk to you, my heartbeat goes up because I love you so much. Oh. 96. Oh, okay, so I'm good. look at you. My heart rate is up at 116, though. That's pretty high. Yeah. Uh, but my oxygen level is also up. So I'm, I'm intaking enough oxygen to keep my body oxygenated at rest. Right. Yeah. I bought this up just in case. So are you, how, like what percent of the time would you say that you have oxygen on? Uh, about, oh, 10 to 20% of the time during the day. Okay. I forget because when I sit down, I've got the oxygen where I sit uh, and when I'm working on the yeah. computer. Most, most of the time I spend working on the computer, on midnight radio and other family projects. Mm. And then I'll put my oxygen on just like this, yeah. you know, and I'll have the cord going over. And then I, I've got it wired uh, from an oxygen machine uh, uh, to the kitchen and to the living room. Okay. And so both places I have an oxygen station. And I just put it on and I work and I, I forget about it. Okay. So I'll wear it for an hour, half an hour. And then I get up to do something, I'll take it off and do stuff. And then I'll, my oxygen drops when I'm up walking around. Then I got to yeah. come back, sit. So I work in very short spurts. Got you. And I don't, I don't do strenuous work. Yeah. I do, I walk. You know, right. I, I don't make a lot of sudden motions. I don't go around lifting a lot of heavy stuff. Um, so right now, that's the stage I'm at. I can't do any kind of labor without dipping to the low 80s. That makes sense. Yeah, immediately. So, so what I, about when you go out and get like the mail from the mailbox? Uh, <clears throat> I take this with me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I went to the market. Uh, I won't be able to go to the market very much anymore. I, for the first time in quite a while, I went to the supermarket couple of days ago and I took this with me but the, the biggest problem I have uh, with uh, is wearing a mask and and with my oxygen the way it is I feel like I'm suffocating just putting yeah. the mask on so it's not that I, I'm not getting oxygen but me, my mind is telling me I'm suffocating and that's that's too uncomfortable and so I have to I have to be real careful. I'm gonna have to get another mask that doesn't have such what a. What about like effect. the the K95s? They yeah, have more of a I, like I don't know. I feel like those are more breathable. I have to. Yeah. I don't use them very much because I don't go out. So yeah. when I go out, I don't have very much experience with them. But I'm gonna try different ones. Yeah, I, I've learned that those ones have given me the most like breathing room, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I mean, I don't know. It feels like it's not as it has that more pivoted, um, exposed, yeah. I don't know how to even It's just a feeling muscle, because yeah. I'm wearing the oxygen tank and using it when yeah. the mask is on even. So I'm getting oxygen. Yeah. It's not the oxygen. 
No. It's the constricted feeling on my face it's that like I, I can no longer stand. Yes, yeah. it's like claustrophobia. Yeah. Uh, it's not real, but my mind tells me it's psychologically. Is. Yeah. yeah, and so sure. it's it's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't look forward to going in public places where I have to put a mask sure. on. <clears throat> it's very difficult. Yeah. Well, how's your how's your mental health? Uh, mental health's still good. Um, uh, I won't talk about Gail. She'll talk about her stuff. Yeah. Um, I haven't gotten to a point where I'm in pain. Mm -hmm. And I can still keep oxygen level up. So basically it's pretty normal uh, when I'm at rest and working on the computer. Um, the only thing I have now that's increasing is coughing. I was just about to say, yeah. yeah that's what I've My lungs keep having fluid and then every once in a while I just can't stop coughing to get it up and, and uh, I have a hoarse voice all the time because of stuff on my vocal cords mm -hmm. uh, so that part is annoying it's yeah. annoying as hell uh, <clears throat> um, sometimes I get a coffee I can't stop and so I keep hoping that I'm gonna be able to get through these sessions with you without getting into some kind of coughing fit mm -hmm. but I've been lucky so far yeah not uh, wood. <laughs> we'll see in the future how that how that happens but uh, so this last month um, I also talk to palliative care. I've got doctors that I contact every month, and they contact me, and we go over my uh, situation. And there will be the all of my end of life care and all of that stuff. Right, is which gonna, you've mentioned it, before. It, it's mm -hmm. going to be with them, and so they're going to carry me along through the stages. Uh, I'm still in an early stage. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been going through this now for a couple of years, maybe a year, at least a year and a half, uh, and now I'm getting to the point where my lung capacity is is getting to the. I, I'm, I'm beginning to feel it mm. regularly. Before, I knew something was wrong because sure. <clears throat> I get short of breath, but I wasn't a, so much aware that oh, I'm dying. I didn't think yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, so my mental health is good, though. Um, I'm one of those people who's uh, accepted life for what it is. Right. And um, I'm working my spare time now on things I like to do, like midnight radio, family projects, I just told you about the other one, our family tree. Yeah, that I, looks really cool. I've got over a thousand people in our family one. tree now, and I'm going to be sending copies of our family data and the software to run it mm -hmm. to each family member, so they'll yes. have the tree. That um, be so, so, so this so, Christmas, so cool. I should be giving all of those things out: my picture collection, my video collection. Uh, I mean, my my own uh, videos that I've done. Right. Yeah, and uh, all of the work that I've done. Um, over the years, I've collected into a, a, a database, mm. and I'll be giving that database. It's it's getting close to by one and a half terabytes of data now, so I'm getting close to a two terabyte drive. So I'll probably <laughs> I'll probably be picking a two terabyte drive to give the data yeah. uh, to family members. That's yeah. great, though. I think that'll be that'll be really yeah something that's everybody will very much cherish. I hope so. Very much so. Yeah. Even if they don't look at it like right away, which I feel like a lot of people will at least, you know, browse through. But then it'll, it'll, could. But <laughs> I don't think so. My experience is. I will. My experience is that uh, the people don't really get interested in things like genealogy and family until uh, later years. Mm -hmm. um, there's too many other things going on in people's lives. Yeah. So um, especially kids, I, and I consider kids anyone up to 30 years old as a kid. Um, Sorry. Uh, 
<laughs> Whatever. Uh, you've got other things to do. Like I, I said. D you I, know, there is a lot going on. But I mean, like I said, that's why I said browse. A, a brief, light browse of it. Mm -hmm. And then, I, as I was going to say, it'll probably get stowed in a box somewhere. And then they'll dig it out like 20, maybe 30 years later and be like, whoa, what the heck is this? And then flush through it and be like, whoa, this is what grandpa left us, or this is what dad left us, or this is what great grandpa left us, et yeah. cetera. It'll take you a while. Yeah. Well, for cool. instance, one of, those, one of those little midnight radio sticks yeah. I give you is like uh, 20 to 40 hours worth. Yeah. It takes you a long time to get no, through. No, I don't think I've even gotten through a single one of them because I don't, I don't know, I don't listen to them on like the long, long <clears throat> trips. I listen to them in spurts. Your life is full. That's what it is. Yeah. You have many yeah. demands on your life and taking the time to sit quietly and close your eyes and listen to music is not a high priority. Well, I listen to a lot of music, but the thing is, is I listen to it more sporadically or in the background or whatever it may be, you know. Um, well, anyway, this is pretty much all the time that we have left um, for this episode. Don't say that. For this episode. Don't say I'm out of time. Don't say that. <laughs> episode. My God, old man. <laughs> Be nice. No, no, nah, you've got you've got some more time on on our hands. Um, okay. Well, anyway, closing out this episode. This has been all of the well, not all of the, but some of the love, marriage, family experiences of Captain Ron Ledesma via his pirate ship Pinata, and according to Captain Ron's records. So, Captain Ron. I am Kayla Marie Coates signing off. And I'm Roma Desma, Captain Ron, signing off. Say goodbye to your friends, family, and friends. Bye, y'all. Quick rewind, even though this is the unedited, unfiltered, That's all, folks. That's all, folks. And say goodbye to your friends, family, and fans out there. Ta-ta for now, everybody. Bye.